All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. At arm's fans welcome back to another episode of the canucks conversation episode 110 that's a nice big number it's been a lot of fun uh none of the episodes are over 100 that's kind of impressive i think quads i think it is you should mention our presenting sponsor though absolutely presented by the great folks at zephyr epic uh 
been a been a pretty good start for us in the Zephyr Epic cards 2020-21 season. No kidding. You know, getting a lot of these Mikey DiPietro rookie cards, some of the other fun stuff from last year. I think it would be a lot of fun if we can still pull another Quinn Hughes because hashtag Hughes hunting is what it's all about. Well, we got but, the so. checklist again. Another Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes checklist. Big fan of that, big fan of that. So David Quadrelli is here joining me. Uh, and we also have another guest joining us in the studio coming back again, I think within the past month now for another round table. Harmon Dial, Harmon back in the studios. Uh, you getting used to this place yet or what? I am. I'm glad that the drive over was uh, not as adventurous as last time. No, uh, no hiccups there. Thanks, Faber. So, uh, no, uh, always glad to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, we're happy to get you back in here. It's been a busy weekend. Probably would have been an interesting conversation to have if the Canucks don't go out and sign Nate Schmidt. I'm pretty sure it would have been very negative, but I'm wondering <laughs> if we're at a neutral spot right now. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? Are you excited? Quads, we'll start with you, man. I mean, I think it's pretty neutral at this point. There's still work to do, right? Like when you look at the top six, there's still a lot of work to do. It's really too bad that they didn't get to Foley back. To Foley really sounded like he wanted to come back here and they didn't get it done. So I think it's still neutral. It would have been an absolute tire fire if they didn't go get Nate Schmidt. Again, that's why they held off on the Sautner contract. I'm sure of it. They didn't announce the Sautner contract because they wanted to make sure people weren't uh, weren't going to be on the Sautner train right away. Yeah, that would have been the the big signing to back up all the guys walking away. Ashton Sautner, uh, who's a def- left-shot defenseman who can play both sides, similar to Nate Schmidt. Uh, speaking of him, Harm, with the Canucks, let's talk about the player first before we get into the deal and the contract and the trade, because uh, that's a big part of it as well. But what are the Canucks getting with this guy, Nate Schmidt? Yeah, I'm a big Nate Schmidt fan. Uh, obviously, he can play. He's really comfortable playing the right side, and that's where he's going to slot with Vancouver. Uh, aggressive puck rushing defenseman, really good with his feet, skates like the wind. Uh, he's got uh, he's got decent size to him as well, so he's not uh, on the smaller side either. Uh, and uh, he's just someone who, for Vegas, he played top pairing minutes on a cup contender, right? Taking tough, tough matchups um, and, and, and playing a strong two-way game in that role. And look, his game is more offensively oriented, um, but he can sort of hold his own and and thrive on the in, in those difficult um in those difficult situations like he was in the 97th percentile of NHL defensemen in terms of how often he played against elite competition so right away you know this is a guy uh, that can play um, that can play, play in all situations and uh, I think that's desperately what Vancouver needed I don't think he fits the perfect stylistic fit as far as um, being the uh, more rugged defensive defenseman that maybe would have been the the perfect replacement for Chris Tanev. But Schmidt is an overall better player than him. Uh, you can slot him anywhere in your top four high-end guy. Uh, and so absolutely the Canucks needed a player like that uh, to be able to sort of slot in onto that right side. Absolutely. And he's a guy that seems like he carries a pairing way more than a guy like Chris Tanev did at his time. Right? That's a huge thing. And and the way that I'm looking at it, and we had this conversation on the drive over here, was I like the idea of putting Hughes and Schmidt together, playing them for a ton of minutes, and then kind of making that second pairing be something more of a defensive look. And that's that second pairing is kind of looking to me like Alex Edler and Tyler Myers. Um, so me and Harm are on different sides of who we think Schmidt should play I'm with. with he shouldn't play with Hughes. Yeah, you 20-year-olds are all the you, same, man. So, all so the same. If Picking you on put, the old guy. <laughs> the old guy. If you put Schmidt and Hughes separate, right? Like, that's 45-plus minutes of a game where you have an elite puck mover on the ice. And that's the way I look at it, right? Is like, the Canucks struggled so much to break the puck out of their own end in the playoffs. Like, that was so prevalent against Vegas. And, I mean, if you have Hughes and Schmidt on separate lines being able to do that, like... 
at least you have that option. I I worry about an Edler Myers pairing, especially if you want them to be a defensive pairing. I'm not so sure that Edler at this point in his career can handle that, and I'm not so sure if Myers is the guy you want to limit in that role when he's a guy who moves the puck well, who skates well. I'd like to see them split up. I'd like to see Myers with Hughes. All right, Harm, you can add on to that, and then I'll make my rebuttal here since I'm on the opposite <laughs> side. I'll get teamed up by the two boy geniuses over here. Yeah, no, fully agree. I think um, I'm of the belief that when you have an elite defenseman like Hughes, he can drive his own pairing, right? And I think when when you examine Schmidt as well, he's the perfect complement for what Alex Edler needs. And you look at what Edler is at this stage of his career, he's really good in his own end. He can clear out the front of the net, boxing guys out. He's going to break up the cycle. Uh, he's going to retrieve pucks in his own end uh, and, and sort of really help out uh, in the own in the own zone. He can help you in the offensive end, but he struggles so mightily in transition. And that's where Schmidt would be um, such a massive boost for him. And so Schmidt would by far be the best partner that Edler's had in years, maybe in, maybe in a decade. Mm. Um, and from that perspective, uh, again, I just like the idea of spreading your wealth. Uh, Schmidt, in my opinion, is by far the club's second best defenseman now. Uh, and uh, I, I just think when you have two high end guys, you you want them on the you want one of them on the ice as often as possible. So that, so that to me is uh, the case for splitting them up. So yeah. get wrecked, Chris. <laughs> no, I just I think that what you're going to be getting from a pairing of Nate Schmidt and Quinn Hughes at moving the puck and breaking out of your own zone is something that Canucks fans haven't seen. You know, like this is a pairing that could really move the puck at an elite level. And you talked about wanting to have these guys on the ice for a lot of time. But, you know, you saw what Vegas did to even a guy like Quinn Hughes in the playoffs, right? Even if Quinn Hughes is playing 25 minutes a game, having a pairing with him and Edler and the forwards not being able to help enough to, you know, make that pairing be good enough to break the puck out of their own zone, they were caved in at times, even with with Quinn Hughes on the ice. I mean, like, it seems like maybe you just have to have that elite pairing out there for, you know, maybe 18 to 22 minutes of five-on-five time a game with those guys. But is Quinn Hughes ready enough to take that jump? That's the kind of worry that I have about it. But we we had this conversation on the way in, Harmon, and you brought up a, a great point that I, you know, would somewhat, the point that you make here that twists my mind the most on it is the fact that Schmidt playing with Edler is the best defensive partner that, that Edler has seen in a long time. And I think that that makes Edler more of what he's falling into right now in the later parts of his career as a stay-at-home defensive guy. He doesn't have to worry about moving the puck as much as Schmidt. So that's the part uh, where I'll concede on this, but I do like, like, I love the idea of just seeing the puck be moved out of the zone with a Schmidt and Hughes pairing. I love the idea of it, absolutely. But I think even when you reference something like the Vegas series, um, I think it was pretty clear, and, and Hughes admitted as much later in the series, that he was banged up at the start, right? And that's when he wasn't looking... Uh, like himself, that's when he didn't have the extra separation gear in his skating stride. So I think that was maybe driven by uh, by, a little bit by injury. I think that was driven uh, a lot uh, by poor puck support from the forwards as well. So uh, I think you're in a situation, from my perspective anyway, I think uh, Hughes can drive elite puck-moving results on his own, and I think Schmidt can do the same on a second pair. Um, so again, I, I, I just think that it's better to kind of split that skill set up and, and again, just have it on the ice as often as possible. Otherwise you run into an issue where, um, yeah, it's great to have a super pair, but they can only play so many minutes for you. And when you have an Edler Myers pair, I mean, those guys are going to be another year older. 
um, the, the, the thought of that just kind of worries me and, and I wouldn't want to have to lean on those two for, for too many minutes to, together in, in, in high leverage situations. And when we talk about a super pair, you can put that in at toward the end of the game. You can ride sure. your wheels off that pairing, right? You're, down, you're a down a goal, you're down a goal and you well, need similar to similar to what goal. we saw with Hughes and Myers last year. Exactly. That's a line that produces goals. Now imagine Schmidt instead of Myers on that line. Right. Like so that's, that's a, that's that's a good a pairing. Huge upgrade. And I think, but what then, we're but then see, you though, still ha- don't have the depth. You don't have the depth to make that sustainable over the what we're also seeing in the situation that you guys are presenting is Tyler Myers playing first pairing minutes. You know, I'm fine with that. Now yeah, a with first Quinn pairing Hughes, guy yeah. with Quinn Hughes. Yeah, yeah just, I'm fine. You look at a lot of these other defensemen around the league that would be in a similar situation to Quinn Hughes. Some of these young players or older players, you know, like the guys that play with the elite defensemen typically aren't like a Tyler Myers type player. They're normally guys that are more stay at home and can actually kind of you know, let the other player do a little bit of walking and, you know, opening up his game offensively for a defenseman. But what we're seeing with Tyler Myers is, you know, he's a guy who doesn't mind bringing the puck behind the net, and then you're going to leave Quinn Hughes at the top by himself. I just see that, like, their their play seems to match, and it produces a lot of goals, but it also gets a lot of goals scored on them when they Same play. Same thing with Schmidt, though. I think that He's Schmidt not a be, stay-at-home guy either, right? And yeah. obviously Schmidt's way better than Myers, but, um, I mean, I just look at, like Tampa, for instance, Victor had been dragged around. Jan Ruda, he dragged around uh, Zach Bogosian. Uh, he, he, he played with inferior partners, and he made them look like credible NHL players. And look, I think Myers, this past year, was the club's be- best right-handed defenseman. Um, and again, when you look at the results of the Hughes-Myers pair, and again, it was usually in uh, situations where they were down a goal, and so obviously there are score effects at play. Uh, last I checked, they drove like a 57% share of shot attempts together. So that Hughes-Myers pairing definitely clicked. Um, and I think that kind of leaves you to have Edler-Schmidt then as your shutdown matchup pair versus Edler-Schmidt is is your super pair, sure. But I think uh, the concerns that you have about Myers maybe being a little bit more offensive, the inclined and how that might force Hughes to maybe change his game a little bit, I think those same concerns would be prevalent with Schmidt. It's interesting. And I think that, I think that I I like the idea, you know, there's a couple points that you guys have made that I, that I've thought about, but I haven't really thought about a lot. Now that I'm on the podcast, having an argument with two of the smartest guys, uh, definitely the two smartest guys in this room for sure. But I think that the thing that we're hearing is like, I like the idea of seeing Quinn Hughes and Schmidt go in when they're down two to start the third period. For like sure. I really like 100%. that. 100%. Because then I get what I want to see. I want to see Hughes play with <laughs> Schmidt, right? Like, that's that's what I want. I would like to see them play 23, 24 minutes of ice time each, be the first power play guy and the second power play guy. Like, I think Schmidt comes in and brings a little bit more at moving the puck up ice, at least for that second unit. And the second unit, if it's going to be similar to what it was last year, they're pretty good at game the zone, actually. With some of the players that come in with speed, you know, say what you want about Jake Vertanen, he does gain the zone somewhat in an offensive way on the power play same with Adam Goddard I think you add Schmidt to that group the second unit really would be good at gaining the zone but yeah I guess like the way that I look at it is I just want to see a lot of Schmidt and Hughes the Canucks are probably going to be down a lot of next year as well so maybe I will get what I want to see so I'm interested to see it play out and I like the Hughes Myers pairing for certain things I loved it when they were down I think they produced a lot of goals Uh, there was no pairing that was even close I think on the Vancouver Canucks for expected goals per 60 with that group like no one was even close Um, seeing the numbers that Chris Tanev had alongside Quinn Hughes compared to what Quinn Hughes did with Tyler Myers like us who look at analytics a lot we're screaming why isn't he playing with him more right so yeah it's going to be an interesting situation but I guess we can move on now to the trade right so it was a third round pick given to the Vegas Golden Knights 
for a team that was currently over the tr- over the cap. I think they might have still they still are right. Like they're yeah, still two million over the, over the cap still. So they were way just- over the cap when this trade was made because they just went out and signed Petrangelo. Uh, Schmidt said that you know in the media conversation that he had with us over Zoom that he had a feeling this was sort of coming down. A lot of the guys in a similar situation to him were saying that you know somebody's got to get moved out. But let's talk about the trade. The Canucks trade a third-round pick in 2022 for Nate Schmidt. I mean, it's a team that's in your same division, and you're sort of helping them get out of a cap situation, but you're still also getting a top-four defenseman for a third-round pick. Uh, Quads, we'll start with you. Looking at the trade as a whole, or in a vacuum, apparently. That oh, is the word, that's the, the words of the week, apparently, on, <laughs> uh, on Canucks Twitter. I haven't seen it a lot. A lot of people are complaining about it. I think, I think it's me. That's why. <laughs> it's no, honestly, yeah, I use it in the radio hit, and then uh, I think I mentioned a couple times in my piece. In a vacuum. Um, it's, it's funny, like... It's like we can, we're going to tag here about Canucks Twitter for a minute then. Because, like, have you guys noticed that, like, somebody says something and it's like maybe it gets seen by 5,000 eyes? You know, it's like a lot of people see something that someone says, but like maybe what you said about in a vacuum. But then people complaining about someone saying in a vacuum gets seen by like 10 times as many people. Like, <laughs> I see more people complaining about complaining than I actually see people complaining like it's, it's weird people like it just like it grows exponentially when you start talking about stuff that people are doing on Canucks Twitter it's an absolute mess but the trade I guess yeah we'll start with you quads what do you think just looking yeah. at it in a vacuum what do you think <laughs> well here's the thing Ray is like when you look at the third round pick like a third round picks hit rate that that's going to become a top four defenseman for you it's pretty low right like even Yanni Yermo who's a great pick you know it's pretty low that he'll become a bonafide top four guy so when you're getting that basically for free, right? And I mean, when I look at it, like, yeah, the Canucks helped Vegas out of a cap thing, but Vegas also threw the Canucks a bone in helping them get a top four defenseman who's, you know, I, I didn't like the contract the first time I looked at it, but then I remembered Alex Edler's getting paid $6 million for one more year, and Schmidt just doesn't look like he's going to be on the decline soon. You worry about the last years of that deal, but I mean, for now, like, that's pretty good value for the Canucks. I'm I'm happy with the trade. I, I don't think they gave up too much. I wouldn't call it a home run like some people have, but... I think it was a pretty fair price for them to pay. Yeah, I mean, when I look at that sort of situation and people talk about helping Vegas out, I mean, the Golden Knights are going to be a juggernaut regardless. Like, doesn't matter they had yeah. Petrangelo, doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter if they had him or not. Like, they were going to be a juggernaut and they were going to find a taker for Nate Schmidt, right? And so why not help yourself out in the process? And um, the point I made is, Vegas arguably helped Vancouver more than the other way around because Vancouver's need for uh, a right side top four guy far exceeded Vegas's need to shed salary. Mm-hmm. When you consider that, look, let's say if Vegas was willing to even hypothetically, people say, give up a fourth round pick and and trade it, traded him to another team like Florida, uh, they're they're still out of that cap situation, right? And and they're fine versus Vancouver. They'd be scrambling. Who else are who else are they gonna they're gonna acquire? Are they gonna sign uh, Travis Hamonic or Sammy Vatman? Probably Vatman? trying to trade picks to Florida, and they probably have to give up a lot more to get you know a guy like Schmidt potentially. Exactly, and, and you you just don't find opportunities uh, to uh, to acquire high highly rated top four defensemen for third round picks. I mean, this is again a guy who played in a top pairing matchup role for a Stanley Cup contender. Stanley Cup contender and he's on a reasonable contract like this isn't an OEL situation right this is this trade was way better than the alternative of going after Ekman Larson Um, I actually had an NHL scout who said 
the last two years, Schmidt has quietly been better than OEL. Um, and so from that perspective, I, I really like the trade. Harm, looking at it and what you kind of just mentioned is interesting. Like, how much worse or how much better do you think Nate Schmidt is than Oliver Ekman-Larsen? Just as a player in general on the contract, let's put the money aside, but on the remaining years on the contract, how much better is it to have Nate Schmidt than Oliver Ekman-Larsen? Or is it just a little bit worse, do you think, still? Uh, well, I, I think even the scout that I had spoken to said, well, OEL has had an elite level that, Schmidt hasn't shown before and I think there's a poor fit for him in Arizona and there are a lot of people who believe that in a better system in a better situation that he would bounce back so uh, if I were to compare OEL and Nate Schmidt just the player alone I think OEL would have been slightly better but again then you have to take into consideration the acquisition cost you have to take into account the the contract and the fact that OEL is locked up at a higher cap hit for uh, a greater term. So uh, when you take all those considerations and, and all that context into account, um, for sure, going after Nate Schmidt and, and getting him for a third round pick is is a far better deal than than uh, the Ekman Larson possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And and to think what they have would have had to given up is it, exactly it's remarkably different. And I think that the way that I'm looking at it is, yeah, you're trading inside the division, but if you win a trade inside your division, that's also a good thing. And the Canucks, I think, won this trade simply because they gave up a third-round pick to get a guy who's going to play in your top four yeah. and potentially play with Quinn Hughes, I hope. Uh, but like for a long time here on this five-year deal, well, let's look at the contract now a little bit. Um, with five years remaining at 5.95, if the Canucks went out in free agency and signed Nate Schmidt to this deal, how would you look at it, Quads? I mean, five years at 5.9. I mean, if they went out and signed it, I'd, I'd be okay with it. It improves their team. Again, like we look at the Myers thing, it improves their team. But again, much like the Myers one, you're worried about the last few years of that contract, right? And I think that's kind of the same thing with Schmidt here. You're a little bit worried that he's going to regress. But again, for the first two, three years of that contract, I'm not worried about it at all. I think Schmidt's going to be fine. And Harm, you were you were pretty vocal about this when the Tyler Myers signing was happening. You were saying that Myers is a 4-5 guy. Do you look at Schmidt the same way, or are you saying that he is for sure a guy that's you know on your first or second pairing? Schmidt's way better. Uh, he's a legit 2-3, 100%. Uh, there's no team in the league where Myers would be, again, I, I mentioned this again and again, no team in the NHL would have Tyler Myers on their top pair. Taking the, the, the most difficult... Next year. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. See... <laughs> It, it, taking matchup minutes, that's that's the right. key distinguishing component. And and I think Schmidt will play um, against elite competition for, for the Canucks this uh, coming year. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're not even close, in, in my opinion. Um, Schmidt is uh, a high-end top-four guy. Myers is a fringe number four when he signed. And, um, and, and I think that is why you're maybe a little bit more bullish about how Schmidt would age, particularly because he is such a strong skater. Um, he has pretty average hockey sense is, is what I've been constantly told. Uh, but if he can hold up physically and, and he has been pretty durable over the course of his career, um, again, you do have some reservations maybe about the final year, but, um, that's pretty good though. If you look at any yeah. contract, if you only have reservations about the final year, like, yeah. you feel pretty good about that. I, I'd be fairly confident that Schmidt is is a really good top four guy for at least the next 
three, four. I shouldn't say at least. I'd be confident that he is a top four guy for three, four years. And it's also it's also important to add that Canucks fans have had reservations about like the first year of the deals they've been signing the past five years. So you know, (laughs) you take this is a victory. (laughs) Most definitely. Plus, there's no cap problem, so in five years we'll be good. It's a fair contract, is how I'd put it. Absolutely, and that's that's all you can really ask for, I think, at this point. Let's. I think we've exhausted uh, the Nate Schmidt a little bit. We've we've done our due diligence talking about it enough, but I want to stick on the defense a little bit because, yeah, we know what the top four is going to look like right now. But let's talk about this third pairing. Harm, last time you were in here, we talked a lot about which of the prospects out of Rathbone, Yolevi, and Rafferty might end up making this team. So let's let's kind of project what a third pairing would look like. Uh, and, yeah, Harm, we'll start with you, just looking at what you think a third pairing looks like on opening night for the Vancouver Canucks right now. And if you want, like, go ahead and throw a name that they might be able to go out and get to help that third pairing or if you think that's possible or not just whatever you think we're going to see on the opening night yeah uh, right now it's not good enough to be quite honest with you I think um, the Canucks had stature there um, last year and so he's obviously departed and I think the the Canucks do need sort of uh, someone who can fill in the number five role to be quite honest with you I think we saw the type of fit that Jordy Ben was um, this past uh, year, and it, it, I don't think you want him in your lineup full time um, in an ideal world. And so I look at someone like Slater Cuckoo um, on the free agent market, and he can play both sides, uh, and he is uh, a significant improvement, a significant upgrade on uh, Jordy Ben. And um, he was a guy that sort of won uh, a bottom pair role in Chicago, played the right side next to Oli Mata. And so I think that versatility is key because depending on whoever makes it out of camp, then then he can be that steady number five who can drive play really really well because Cuckoo can move the puck. He's solid in his own end. Um, on a Chicago team that struggled to control play, he drove, uh, I think it was a 53% share of expected goals. So Chicago did really well when he was on the ice. Um, they outscored the opposition at five on five when he, when he was on the ice. Um, and so, say Ulevi makes it, you could go with a Ulevi Cuckoo pair. If uh, if Rafferty makes it, you could go Cuckoo Rafferty. So I think uh, I think that's the key, and you kind of have to view him as an upgrade on Ben. And the key here is the Canucks can take a flyer on a guy like Cuckoo without it affecting their cap situation. Because remember, remember you can bury up to one point zero five zero five seven five. I think it is um, just over a mil in the minors without it counting against the cap. So if you sign Cuckoo to one year, one million, and let's say for whatever reason he doesn't work out, you can send him down to Utica. He can play 7-8. And again, if he's sent down to the AHL, he does not count against the cap. So it's kind of... uh, The only risk you're taking is the actual cash. And from that... Uh, perspective, I think it's really important considering the, the the fact that when Fandenberg and Ben were on the ice last year, the Canucks were outscored by a, a pretty substantial margin. And I do think someone like Cuckoo would be an upgrade in that sort of a role to play with whatever prospect makes it. Absolutely. And it seems like one of those prospects, and you can call Rafferty a prospect or not. He's, he's 25 years old <laughs> right now. Uh, but quads for you, do you think that there is room to go out and you know sign a guy on a low-end contract right now? Because... With arbitration coming up for Jake for ten, and without any players being bought out, without any high contracts being traded away, the Canucks don't have a lot of money as well. Like, are they going to be forced to run with potentially a Yulevi Rafferty pairing, like a lot of people are hoping for, because a lot of people want to see these young guys step up? Travis would have a heart attack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll get Chatfield if Travis is making the choice, or uh, if Jim's making the choice. Apparently, but do look, you think it's possible, or are we going to have to see 
that pairing as a third pairing and potentially playing six minutes a game like we saw with the Olevi in the playoffs. Look, I think something we've seen exhibited from the Canucks in every move they've made this offseason is they're only looking to make low-risk moves that have a high chance of working out. So when we look at a guy like Cuckoo, I ask, I want to ask Harmon, like, is he an upgrade on Stetcher? Because that's what they really need to upgrade here. It's probably a sideways move. And how much does how much would Cuckoo sign for? Well, well, that's the point. I think you make that signing if it's one year, one mil, right? Because yeah. those types of players are getting squeezed. Um, and, I mean, Chicago really liked him. They wanted to bring him back, and their back end isn't very good. They just couldn't afford, it, afford him, so they didn't qualify him, which is pretty much the exact same situation Stetcher was in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, again, I think that's the key, is you have to be able to get him at a rate where if you bury him in the minors... Um, it doesn't affect your cap at all. I yeah. think that's the key. Um, that way, again, then it's a no-risk gamble. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that's, what, that's the kind of move that the Canucks need to make, and I think that's the kind of move that the Canucks want to make. I think from here on out, they only want to make low-risk moves. You know, the Tyler Foley one was a low-risk move for Montreal. I wish the Canucks had made it, but they didn't. So when we look at the defense, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be good if they have to put a Yolevi Rafferty pairing out there. I'm confident that we won't see that. Like Harmon said, Travis is going to have a heart attack if that's what he's put on opening night. So, I mean, if we're looking at the current pairings and like what they actually have, man, I'm thinking it's Jordy Ben opening night. But like Harmon said, you don't want to play him for 82 games. Do you guys think that Travis Green could legitimately start five left-shot defensemen, though? He'd, he'd like, hate it. He'd I'd hate, hate it. it. And like the other option is Jordy Ben potentially playing with Yo Levy or a guy like Cuckoo. He's going to already have Schmidt in there. Like, that would be Travis Green's worst nightmare. But then again, yeah. a lot of Canucks fans' worst nightmare is seeing a chatfield Yo Levy pairing. So that's something that we might have to worry about, too. Yeah, no, and, and it's why, uh, again, uh, I, I like cuckoo for that reason because if let's say travis really wants a right shot in that position and he goes with either rafferty uh, or chatfield uh, to play in that role well then at least cuckoo can anchor that pairing and, and sort of drive play for that uh for that sort of line as opposed to uh ben who we saw him on the left side this past year um and and the results uh, results weren't picked weren't pretty at all whether you looked whether you were just watching him whether you looked at the underlying numbers it just didn't work out it's why he was a healthy scratch so often and so to me i'm surprised they actually haven't moved out that contract yet i mean one year two million um and, and i'm sure we'll talk about sort of the contracts and and in in the flexibility they have right now i thought that would have been a slam dunk way for them to open up a little bit more space but uh i guess they couldn't find a taker for whatever reason or or unless or, or until they find another defender, maybe they purposely aren't trying to move him. Yeah, potentially. It's just it feels like there could have been, there should have been, and could have been a lot more done by Jim Benning. But it seems like you know a lot of people are saying this. He probably had you know his hands in too many different cookie jars, or he just had both of his hands in the OEL cookie jar. Is what it seems like. Like a lot of these moves, like you mentioned, Jordy Ben, something that should have been talked about a lot because I feel like yeah, multiple teams would have liked to take. Jordy Ben, even if the Canucks retain $500,000 on that almost, you know, like you're still losing 1.5 on that off of your cap. And instead of burying him, you're saving $500,000 in the end. If you were to trade and at 1.5, Jordy Ben is a steal for anyone. Well, I mean, maybe not a steal, but I feel like it's a trade that gets done. Mm -hmm. So um, we are going to wrap up the defense here before we go to break. Yeah, we'll just kind of just finish on the defense here. Let's look at that right side. We've heard Jim Benning say Chatfield's names three times. He's had three appearances in the past week. He's mentioned Jalen Chatfield in each of those. In each of the times he's talked to the media, he's talked about guys that are young players coming in, and Jalen Chatfield's name has come out. 
We didn't even talk about it last time you were here, Harm. It was Yalevi, Rathbone, and Rafferty. Those are the players we were talking about. Uh, Quads, what do you think about well, Jalen Chatfield and the talk about him? I'd like to point out that when, when you guys brought up those three names, I said, why are we talking about Jalen Chatfield? Rafferty had a bad camp. So did so did Chatfield. So why isn't Chatfield in this conversation? I was joking. Like I was saying there's no way Chatfield should be in this conversation. Benning is a confirmed listener of the show. I actually thought Chatfield had a good camp. Yeah. I, he was better than Rafferty. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's why I was shot. saying he should have been part of the conversation right, that right, we were right, having. Right. I just don't think it's he's not NHL level. Like he wasn't even the best defender on the Comets, from what I've seen and from what this guy said to me. He wasn't the best defender on the Comets, and I don't think he he should be a guy that they're looking at and being like, well, when he's asked, you know, the context of him talking about Chatfield is he's being asked about how he's going to fill out his lineup, right? And he's well, bringing up guys like Hogland. Young players that are going to help fill the lineup. Exactly. Jalen Chatfield's being the defenseman brought up first. That's the only thing that's catching me by surprise. And that's what's, that's what's throwing me off is like, why is he not bringing up I, Rafferty? I, I think the Canucks internally have reservations and are a little bit hesitant about Rafferty's defensive game. Um, and when you look at the makeup of Vancouver's top four right now, all everyone that's a part of that has 30 plus point upside. But aside from Edler, none of them are particularly good in their own end, right? Like Hughes, Myers, Schmidt, none of them are um, above average in zone defenders. And so this is a team that already struggled to defend last year and lost its best defensive defenseman in Chris Tanev and lost another one of its best, better defensive defensemen in Troy Stetcher. Remember, last three years, Stetcher has the lowest rate of five-on-five goals against. Um, And so a poor, a defensively weak blue line has lost two of its better defenders, right? And in-zone defenders, I mean, not overall defenders. Um, And so I think they look at Rafferty and compare him to Chatfield and say, I don't know if we can trust Rafferty on a bottom pair. Do we have enough defensive skill um, on this blue line? And I think that's where they look at Chatfield as perhaps this more defensively oriented, steady two-way guy who's a good skater. Um, And so we'll see. I I haven't seen enough of Chatfield to make a definitive statement of, of whether he's ready or not. Um, but uh, I think that's what their thought process is when assessing the situation on the blue line. The only here's the problem that I have, and I've watched a lot of comments games, watch a lot of Jalen Chatfield. Jalen Chatfield reminds me of um, what an AHL. You see this a lot in the AHL. You see a big right hand shot or left hand shot defenseman who plays on their bottom pairing and toughs it up. He pushes guys around in the corner. He can't skate. He can't move the puck. But every AHL team has one. And the Canucks have one in Utica with Jalen Chatfield, but he's just not six foot five. Like Chatfield can skate though; he's a good skater. Well, maybe he can skate, but that's the thing. Like he doesn't have the size, but he plays the game like he plays the game like one of these guys that it's going to be able to push you around, and that's what he's leaning on. Plays like a nineties defenseman, you know. Like he's greasy; he's going to get involved. We saw him get involved at training camp, even the little thing that he had with Jake Vertanen and stuff like that. But he doesn't block shots. I think he was sixth on the Comets in block shots per game. And everyone's saying that he's going to, he's Chris Tanev. Like I see this on Twitter all the time. <laughs> that Jalen Chatfield is going to be the next Chris Tanev. It's like, no, he's not. He doesn't block shots at all. He was on the second group for the penalty kill that was always out there. He wasn't playing with Yolevi, who a lot of people think he was out there. Like Yolevi was first guy to go. And even to go back to our conversation we had last time Harm was here, I wonder if they lean that direction a little bit more because Yolevi's penalty killing last year in the AHL was excellent. So I wonder if that's what they have to lean on. Like, Yolevi's probably going to have to kill penalties. I think he's going to go out there and kill penalties over Quinn Hughes just because like giving Quinn Hughes a little bit of a break is something that's going to need to happen. You can't have him killing penalties, first unit, first pairing. Like 
Don't want him blocking shots. Exactly. <laughs> no, blocking no, shots. No, exactly. <laughs> Leave that for your levy. And I think that the right side guy, yeah, you know, it, it scares me to see Chatfield just because when I look at the depth charts and when I look at what I saw in Utica last year, I would have Sautner, I would have Rafferty, I would have Yalevi, and potentially Brisebois as better defensemen for the NHL than Jalen Chatfield. But the fit that people want to see, and the one that you just mentioned about what we, what you would like to see from Jalen Chatfield as a right shot guy that the def- Canucks might think that they have a guy who plays defense strong, is able to move the puck and skate a little bit. Like, Chatfield's the fit for that, I guess. But I still think, like, I I think Ashton Sautner would be a better right shot guy who plays defense than Jalen Chatfield. Sautner's a lefty. lefty. He's a lefty, but he plays right side. He played right oh. most of last year. But then you run into the same issue of like that's the <laughs> well, yeah, I'd rather slide like, a cuckoo than yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, 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 then you could, the honestly, then why not just Jordy Ben on the right yeah. side? Like he's pretty good on his right yeah, side. He's better than Sautner, right? Yeah. So, so I like so like let's let's look at it as we close out. Like, let's predict the third pairing because we've talked a lot about the top four, and we'll just say our names. Uh, Quads, you start. What do you think we see on opening night for the Vancouver Canucks, whenever that is? You see Yulevi. I'm confident that Yulevi is going to be the one that makes the team. I Again, I haven't seen a ton of Rathbone, so I can't speak on it. All I know is Yulevi had a really good camp, and Travis was really happy with it. They were working really closely one-on-one with him. Yulevi had a really good camp. I'm expecting him to do the same. I'm expecting him to be on the third pair opening night. And on the right side, honestly, I'll just say Jordy Ben, but I think it's TBD. I think we see a move. Okay. Exact same. Yeah, like I, I think Ulevi's kind of got a, a little bit of a leg up um, over some of the other guys, but um, I, when you have um, when you have a Green's just not going to run two prospects on his bottom pair. So I think um, unless you acquire um, a veteran guy um, to kind of be an upgrade on Ben, that Ben will kind of uh, sort of slot into that right side uh, position but we'll see maybe maybe the Canucks go out and, and re-sign Vantenberg too like I think I think it's an outside shot like I don't think it's terribly likely but they still have had apparently discussions so we'll see how this all kind of shakes out but like quads I do think we're going to see another move in the back end all right but you're thinking you'll levy on opening night yeah yeah hmm. okay I'm not going to put you levy on my opening night I don't think he I don't think he will make it out of camp. I'm going to go with Jordy Ben and Brogan Rafferty. I think Brogan Rafferty impressed at the first training camp. I really liked the way he played. I know he had a really bad second training camp. That's probably going to be in Travis Green's thoughts, obviously going into this camp. But I think he's going to impress. I think Brogan Rafferty is the type of guy who's pretty confident in himself and seeing what just happened to him at this past you know bubble situation and not even getting a shot when guys like Yo Levy did, even though Rafferty was a much better defenseman in the AHL, I think that's that's going to hit him personally. And I think he's going to bring it this offseason. I expect Brogan Rafferty to be on the opening night roster, and I'm going to put Jordy Ben on his left side. That's what I think we're going to see uh, I could on see opening it. night. I could see that too. It's a little bit of an older defense, right? Like It's something that, though Travis Green probably is... That's the thing. Like We know Benning's high on Yo Levy, but like, is Travis Green is high on him over a guy like Rafferty, similar to what Jim Benning is. That's the thing that I see. So I'll be interested yeah. to see how camp plays it out. But yeah, I'd go with Ben and Rafferty. Makes sense. Another righty too. So yep. I can, I, th- I, th- I think both scenarios are equally plausible to be completely honest. It'll be fun. And let's hope for Kuko. We'll just, uh, we'll just hope for that in the end. Uh, for now though, let's head to break and hear from our sponsors. Uh, and then on the other side, I guess we'll try not to talk about the defense since we just did that for 30 minutes here. And before we go any further, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast, Zephyr Epic, Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. We open a lot of hockey cards for them, and you can too. You can use promo code CanucksConvo for $5 off your order. They ship free anywhere in Canada 
on orders over $50. So take advantage of that. Again, that is promo code CanucksConvo at ZephyrEpic.com. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms, on Twitter, Instagram, and join them on Twitch every Thursday for weekly case break giveaways. Chris and I have a lot of fun doing these. You guys should check them out as well. We've been having a lot of luck. We opened a lot of Quinn Hughes cards, and now we're doing the DiPietro diving. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram opening hockey cards at random times. It's really hard to find out when we're going to do it because we don't really know when we're going to do it. But be on the lookout for that and make sure you go buy yourself some hockey cards, whatever cards you need from Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. New Mike's Hard Blue Freeze hits you with the nostalgia of a blue freezy with bold blue raspberry flavor and a refreshingly crisp finish. Mike's Hard Lemonade is a Canadian original made with natural flavors. Absolutely. The Blue Freeze is delicious. But for people that are not looking for any sugar and carbs, Mike's Harder has got you covered with the 7% with natural lemon flavor, easy drinking and refreshing with a hint of zesty lemon and a bit more vodka because everybody needs that. They also have lime flavor and cherry available, so be sure to check out Mike's Blue Freeze. That's my favorite. Quads had a bunch last night. That's why he sounds a little woozy on this week's episode. <laughs> and Mike's Harder is what Quads will be drinking next week, so expect him to barely make it to next week's podcast. I'll also be drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade. Over 20 years ago, Mike took ordinary lemonade and added vodka to it and made something original that the world had never seen before. The OG of coolers, Mike's has a broad range of alcoholic beverages based on lemonade and nostalgic flavors, delivering a totally original taste on classic drinks. Yeah, so we got Mike's back on the podcast sponsoring the show. Very excited for that. So be sure to support them. Uh, We're going to have some more giveaways coming out in the future. And Quads, by the way, they sent us some onesies. Ooh, yeah. I, I- Man, I gotta get on that. You got some neutral onesies coming in. Yeah, so don't I'm forget about neutral vodka soda. Vodka, carbonated water, and natural flavors with zero grams of sugar and no carbs. No preservatives, only three ingredients, 100 calories per 355 milliliter can. You betcha. And we'll wrap up the ad there. Um, I can't believe I forgot to mention this because we were just kind of excited to get the podcast going with Harmon here in studio. It's always fun to get Harmon here, and uh, he's the only guest to ever join us in studio. Um, so we were just right into the Canucks talk. I completely forgot to mention that we have a Vancouver Canuck on this podcast as well. He's coming off of a two-year deal with the Vancouver Canucks. We're very excited to have him back in the lineup, a former Regular on the show, Corey Hergott's favorite player, the big fella. He is joining us now this week, so let's get to that interview that I sat down with Zach McEwen. All right, guys, joining us now, he just is coming off of signing a two-year deal with the Vancouver Canucks, former Utica Comet, now playing for the Vancouver Canucks here for our local team, Zach McEwen. Zach, how are you doing today? Good, going? I'm doing pretty good. Like I said, just kind of sleeping off the turkey here. What's your plans for the Thanksgiving weekend? Oh, you know, it took it easy uh, a little bit yesterday. I think uh, me and my girlfriend are going to go, uh, going to go see some of the bot- botanical gardens today, and um, you know, maybe do some other fall stuff. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I just wanted to kind of dive into a few things, especially um, an interesting spot. I mean, you're one of the guys coming out of the NHL from Prince Edward Island. Uh, just curious, what was it like growing up playing hockey on PEI? Because from what I've heard, it, it's potatoes and hockey over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's, uh, you know, everybody takes hockey pretty seriously. There's, uh, you know, there's a couple of good rival- rivalries, uh, you know, between the teams on the island. So, um, and you, you kind of go to school with, uh, you know, with guys you're playing against and stuff too. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a great place to grow up and play hockey. You know, uh, I have a lot of buddies that I play with my whole life that I started playing hockey with that, you know, are my best friends, uh, you know, to this day. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a good scene. 
What's it like for um, NHL players? Like, do some people retire to PEI? Is there a lot of NHL connections around there? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a few. Like, uh, you know, there's some uh, some guys that played back in the day. You know, I know Dion Phaneuf has a place there that he uh, he goes to every summer. He loves it there. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a few guys around for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I heard. I think Sidney Crosby's parents have a home over there. I heard. Uh, yeah, I think they might. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I um. Uh, so I'm. I'm dating a girl who's from New Brunswick. Her mom is from PEI. So I've got a couple of PEI questions. Can I bounce them off of you a little bit here? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> okay, the first one I got to ask about, and she said it's the big thing that you guys all like to attend, and it's called the Cavendish Beach Music Festival. Have you ever attended that? Oh yeah. Uh, no, I haven't missed one of those in the last probably five or six years, except uh, I guess this year since they canceled it. But right. Uh, no, that's uh, yeah, that's a must see. If you like country music, you know that's uh, you know that's always a good time there. They, they get some big name artists in, and uh, you know they set it up really well. That's awesome. Well, that's pretty cool. And it's just it's a country music festival down on the beach. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, you know it's uh, you know it's a pretty good weekend for sure. No doubt. Well, that's awesome. The other thing I wanted to hear about was uh, so she just came and visited, and we went up to Whistler and went to a place called Cow's Ice Cream, uh, and I hear that's a PEI <laughs> staple as well. Yeah, it is. You know, you see, uh, you see the cows all over the place in, in Canada, but uh, you know that originated PEI. So <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's uh, my girlfriend loves it too. She's, uh, you know, she's always pestering me to take her to get it. So, <laughs> right on. And uh, to to build off of the cows ice cream, uh, something that they were obsessed with that I wasn't a huge fan of was um, these chocolate covered chips. That's like what they're famous for. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you with those. I, uh, you know, I'm not really a fan of those, but I know some people love them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I wanted to get a little bit now into the the Utica Comets and, and that what that situation was like with you when you signed with them. Uh, what were your initial thoughts coming out of the queue and just signing and jumping right into the AHL? Uh, nerves for sure <laughs> was uh, I think the you, you know the initial feeling, but. Uh, you know, coming out uh, of junior there and, and going with Utica for that uh, kind of two weeks um, as a 20-year-old, they were kind of making a playoff push, so I didn't really get in any games. Um, you know, they, uh, I was practicing and stuff, so it was good to get my feet wet just kind of for a taste of, um, you know, what pro was going to be like. And, you know, I got to see that a little bit, so I think that that's what that was good for that year. And then, um, you know, I kind of knew what to expect coming into the next year. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I think a lot of people have talked about in your career is that you, you ended up having a really late growth spree. So what was that like in the QMJHL and then kind of moving into the AHL? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, like, you, I, I, you know, I was just never drafted in, in the Q, and uh, I ended up getting called up at a junior A in Moncton and, you know, those playoff games I played as an 18-year-old in Moncton kind of gave me, uh, you know, a good start for, you know, getting my foot in the door to get into the queue. So, you know, they had me back the next year. And, you know, I kind of found my game, found my game as a 19-year-old, you know, playing a bit of a role with, uh, you know, with the Wildcats. And, you know, had some good players on that team that, you know, that I, you know, that I played pretty well with and clicked pretty well with. So, um, and then coming out of, coming out of, Coming out of my 19-year-old year, the uh, you know we just had too many 19-year-olds returning to Moncton, so mm-hmm. I ended up getting a trade to Gatineau, where you know there, there was uh, you know they only had a few 19-year-olds coming back as 20, so you know it was a good opportunity for me there for sure. And then you know I kind of got to settle into it as a 20-year-old, having a little bit of freedom to you know kind of play my game, and you know the coach had a lot of trust in me, so 
I think, uh, you know, I think that year, uh, you know, I really got to, to show people what I could do and, and, you know, feel confident in my game, and uh, and I kind of took off. Yeah, no doubt. And then you come into your first year of professional hockey, and that's a that's a huge jump, right? Like, I've talked to Cole Lynn and Jonah Gadjevich over the past couple, I guess, months now on this show, and, and something they said was that first year coming off a of major junior into the professional leagues is, is, like, the biggest jump you can really do as a pro hockey player. Uh, but, like, it seemed like you jumped in pretty quickly with the AHL team. I mean, 10 goals, 23 assists in your first year. Uh, what was that first year like for you in Utica kind of finding your feet in professional hockey? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, it definitely took me a little bit too. Uh, I think I, I started off the year with an injury too to my shoulder, so I kind of started a little bit late in the season, and then you know trying to figure that out as the season went on, and and you know getting you know trying to just realizing that you know you're not playing against you're not playing against teenagers anymore. You know, you're playing against grown men, and, and they have a lot of experience, and you know a lot of the stuff that might have worked in junior you know that's probably not going to fly in the pro leagues and and you know you gotta you gotta pick your times and places better and um i think i think you know as as i kind of figured that out and you know figured out what my role was and and you know what was giving me success and you know keep working on that and, and focusing on that part of the game was uh you know what what helped me have a little bit of success that first year for sure no doubt and something that i've heard from a lot of people that have come through the utica comets organization is how crazy those fans are in utica i mean i watch some ahl games uh when i'm watching comets games and they're on the road it seems like some rinks are completely empty but uh that barn in utica that place gets pumping and it's loud in there it seems like yeah for sure you know that was the best part about utica you know you never had you never had a problem getting fired up for a uh, home game because <laughs> You know the fans are fired up for you, and you know you wanted you wanted to uh, you know play your best to uh, you know to show them they're there rooting you on. So uh, it was definitely a great atmosphere, that's for sure. Absolutely, and now I mean, obviously, great news. Congratulations on the two-year deal with the Vancouver Canucks. I must feel pretty good to see where you've worked your way up to now. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, you know, the, my first contract kind of went exactly how you know I wanted it to go. You know, with the, with the development path. And, you know, I, I'm really happy with how that turned out, and you know, to see to get rewarded again for another two years, especially, you know, especially in Vancouver, where the city's. You know, I love this city, I love it here. So, you know, to get another two years to, to spend here and, and you know keep developing with this young team is is uh, really exciting. It's got to be a, a crazy month for you here over the past little bit. I mean, getting eliminated from the playoffs, uh, you know, coming back home from coming out of the bubble, signing this contract. Like, uh, is it kind of nice now to just relax for a couple days? Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, I think uh, definitely a little bit of weight off the shoulders there after signing the contract. You know, you just a little bit, of, you know, not knowing what's going down with the uh, free agency and you know everything going on with the with the NHL next year. So, you know, it's definitely, uh, yeah, definitely a little bit of relief, and uh, you know, it's uh, time to get back to work here now. What did you uh, think about the whole situation in the bubble? I mean, you guys were in there for a decent amount of time. You ended up getting into six playoff games. Like, what was the whole experience kind of like for you? Because it's something that uh, I don't think really any other hockey league has really gone through. So it was kind of interesting to see what you guys went through there. Yeah, no, it's for sure. It was, uh, you know, you, you definitely you didn't know what to expect going in there. But, um, you know, when once you got in there and, uh, you know, you saw everything they had set up and, the way they organized it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool to be a part of, I thought, you know, the, just the, uh, you know, the amount of, of planning and execution that they, they would have had to go through to, you know, to get that set up was, was pretty amazing. And then, um, yeah, like you said, you know, playing in the, in the games that I played in was, you know, so super exciting to, 
it's the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, you're fired up to play in that. And, you know, and the run that we went on was was really fun to be a part of and, and just see, you know, what, uh, you know, what our team could do. And, you know, it, uh, you know, it also could have went either way there in, in that game seven against Vegas. So it's, uh, it's definitely uh, encouraging to going forward here with this team. Absolutely. I, I got to get your opinion on this because what we saw as Canucks fans was Thatcher Demko absolutely standing on his head when he was given an opportunity to play. Uh, he's a guy that you have obviously been around for a few years now. What was it like for you guys on the bench just uh, seeing what Thatcher was able to do in those last few games? Oh man, I was so happy for him. You know, he's uh, you know he's so good. He, he works you know he works so hard on his details and and you know he's always ready and he's he was in a uh, you know he was put in a pretty tough spot coming in there when he did and and you know I knew I knew going in that you know he was he was going to be great like you know he's I knew he he could handle that and uh, I was just I was just super happy for him and and you know he he really deserves that so uh, you know I'm glad uh, I'm glad he did what he did. And how, how does it feel for you guys? I mean, it, it seems like the Vancouver Canucks were kind of a team that uh, maybe was almost everyone's second favorite team in the playoffs. I mean, you guys have a young group. You have an emerging core. Uh, you know, seeing what the bottom six was able to do compared to the top six, it was something that it just seemed to mesh nice, and people enjoyed watching Canucks games this year. For you guys, is it just kind of like a building block now? Like you want to always be in the playoffs for the next you know handful of years now, building off of what you did this year? Yeah, I think, you know, every, you know, every year at the start of the year, your goal is to, you know, get to the playoffs and then, you know, your goal is to win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, that's, that's what you aim for every, every single year. You know, you don't want anything less. So I think coming off, uh, coming off that little push that we had there in the playoffs, it's, uh, you know, it's a good sign and it's really encouraging for the future. Absolutely. And what's the off season looking like for you now? Is it going to be staying in Vancouver and just kind of waiting to hear when the season gets announced? Uh, yeah, no, I'm able to, uh, train and skate here in Vancouver. Um, so yeah, I'll just be here and, you know, kind of waiting to see what the, what the deal is for next year, but, you know, just getting ready and, uh, getting the, getting the mind and body right. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. And, uh, I guess I, I wanted to dive into nicknames a little bit because you've got a few of them, Zach, uh, and a couple of them are pretty fun. I know that the big fellas one that uh, Corey Hergott's kind of made for you, uh, but I wanted to ask a little bit about Big Mac Zach because I saw your mom tweeting out a picture when you scored your first NHL goal of her going to get a Big Mac. Uh, have you seen much of this nickname out there, the Big Mac Zach? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I've seen a uh, you know I've seen a couple of them. <laughs> That's good stuff. It, it seems like a lot of fun. I see, I see, you know, Shotgun Jake, Big Mac Zach. It's quite the little mix you guys got on the team there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right on. Um, when you returned from the bubble and you returned home, one of the favorite things for fans to see was uh, the dog reactions uh, to when yeah. you guys were came home. And you guys, you had a pretty awesome one coming back uh, to see Alfie over there, who has his own Instagram page for people that haven't checked it out. How how did that really come to fruition? Getting an Instagram page for the dog. Oh uh, well, my girlfriend just uh, you know she sees the she sees how cute Alfie is and <laughs> she thinks everybody else needs to see that too. So yeah, thanks for uh, dropping his his Instagram there. He'll get some more followers. She'll be pumped. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought that was kind of funny. Was that the first time that you actually saw your girlfriend? Was it also the video that you saw the dog? Because it just seemed like uh, like all yeah. the hockey videos that were coming out were like 
the girlfriends were being ignored for the first little bit when you had to see the dogs first. <laughs> yeah, the girlfriends were kind of put on the back burner when I first got home. I think, you know, the, it was the, uh, you know, I was more excited to see Alfie right away. So. <laughs> right <laughs> She's on. here giving, giving me a look while I'm saying that. <laughs> no doubt. Well, at least, you're, at least you're comfortable enough to say it in front of her. <laughs> yeah, no, she knows. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the game against the Colorado Avalanche on uh, March 6th uh, that you played against them. You end up scoring two goals in that game that's your first nhl game with the multi-goal game uh what was it like for you because those are two huge goals and you only played seven minutes in that game as well um yeah no i was i was pretty fired up that's for sure <laughs> um no i mean yeah I, you know the position we were in there with you know where we we're in the season to get those two goals was you know it was it was really exciting um you know i was i was just pumped to you know to be able to contribute and help the team a little bit so uh you know to to get to get the two and you know our line played really well that game so uh you know i think it was uh you know, a really good step for me in the right direction absolutely and, and something that i wanted to kind of talk about that canucks fans are obviously you know falling in love with with your game is the fact that you're willing to stick up for your teammates um and you know if a bad hit happens whether it's a star or not a star you seem to jump right in there and drop the gloves if you have to uh, is that something that you've kind of always had throughout your hockey career just being able to stick up for a teammate yeah i mean yeah, and that's you know that's something that's part of my game, and you know I don't mind, I don't mind doing. You know, I think it's it's a part that's necessary in the game, and you know it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's just you know it's a part of my game, and you know it's going to be a part of my game. Absolutely, well, that's good to hear. It's it's a lot of fun, and just for you looking at this team, I mean, you're a you're a 24 year old guy. This team has a young core. Is it just feel like the perfect spot for you in the NHL right now? Because this team just seems like it's just going to keep getting better over the next couple of years. Yeah, it really does. You know, I you know I think about that a lot, and that uh, you know really excites me to uh, you know to be able to grow and build with this this team coming up, and you know be a part of this. I think you know I think we're going to be able to do something special, and uh, you know I'm I'm really really excited to be a part of it. Absolutely, well, that's good to hear. And uh, kind of moving forward now, uh, what does the next few months look for you like look like for you right now? Is it anything coming up with the Vancouver Canucks? You know, you're able to see some of your teammates, or are you kind of just hanging out at home right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in and out, uh, you know, around the facility working out, and uh, you know, I'm going to be skating, uh, you know, for the next months, just you know, getting ready for getting ready for the start of the next season. And I, I, there's a few guys left in town, and I'm not. I think a few more might be filing in here as you know as it goes on. So, uh, yeah, like like you said, it's still kind of uh, up in the air, but what's going to happen? So you kind of just have to be adaptable, and then you know, just be ready for whatever. So I think training and skating right now is just uh you know where i'm gonna be at and and, you know just get ready absolutely well i was at the final question i wanted to ask you it's about alfie of course so i'll give him another plug here um last year the canucks had the dog races i don't think alfie participated in that did he uh he did not because i got called up the day they had the dog races so i don't i don't think they knew i was going to be here but uh i think uh I don't know how he would have done it, how he would have did in that. He's, he, he, he might get a little distracted. He might have just chased the other dogs around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good stuff. Well, for people that haven't checked it out, uh, they got to check out Alfie's page. One of my favorite dogs, especially now that uh, Tanev's dog's gone from the Canucks. So that was, you know, Mr. Duty was one of my favorites, I think, going into it, though. 
yeah, we'll get Alfie training for next year's dog races if they if they end up having focus, <laughs> so he can uh, you know he can take home the win. That's good stuff. People are looking forward to it, Zach. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day here to join me here. Uh, have a good rest of the Thanksgiving weekend, and best of luck training for next year, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. And thank you very much to Vancouver Canucks forward Zach McEwen for joining us there. A little bit of fun to uh, talk a little bit about PEI. And I can't believe I forgot to mention the interview at the start of there. Uh, because, yeah, we were just excited to talk hockey with Harmon. We still got Harmon's studio. But Quads, too bad you missed that one, buddy. That was a good one. I know. And it wasn't because I slept in either. I thought that would be my downfall. Well, it sort of was. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the quality would have been whack if I was on the call as well. Yeah. But it was because he changed the time because he had to go to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, it like is, any man. good we, boyfriend would. Have you been to pumpkin patch season yet? No, but me and Harm were talking with us on the way over, and uh, hopefully the girlfriend hasn't made it this far in the podcast. She normally listens to the first two minutes and then dips off because <laughs> we start talking about hockey, so she's not going to hear this. I do not want to go to the pumpkin patch. Dude, supposed nobody to go to does. one this weekend. Nobody I, does. And I told Harm this. Like, I, I was looking at pictures on Instagram, and the trails are just disgusting. Like the trails that yeah. you go, like corn mazes and like stuff like that, where you go on the trails. It's just an absolute swamp. Of mud everywhere. I don't own a pair of rubber boots. Like I, I'm not yeah. down for. I don't want to bring my work boots no. out and yeah. ruin my work boots. So I'm hoping that it pisses rain all weekend and I don't have to go to one of these things. Wow, that's bold of you to say on the main show. You better I know hope she, she doesn't. She's not listen made it this far. far. There's no it, chance she's made it to this far. It's all Insta- It's all for Instagram. Exactly. It's just all for <laughs> oh, the photos. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I definitely, that's, definitely that's how don't you miss knew that McEwen part. was there because I think his. Uh, <laughs> His girlfriend was posting pictures of him at the pumpkin patch later that day. Or maybe it was on the dog's account, who we joked about a little bit in the conversation as well. That was fun. Good guy, Zach McEwen, man. That was an awesome conversation. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he can do. And he's going to be a guy who's fitting into this Canucks forward group. And looking at the forward group right now, with the loss of Tyler Toffoli, that makes a huge loss in somewhere in the top six. I wrote an article today about Jake Vertanen being on the first line. But we're going to talk a little bit about that maybe because uh, I'm sure you guys are just ready to roast me for that one. Uh, but uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what to do with the second and third line, the middle six lines right now, because that's something that we just talked about as we were kind of on break there. Um, Josh Levo is a guy that I think I think all three of us would like to see a shot, at least for Josh Levo next year. But they need a guy who can go into that top six. For me, Like that's why when I was writing the article about Jake Vertanen being on the first line and playing with Miller and playing with Pedersen, he doesn't fit on the second line. Like He's not a top-six player. He's a top-line player or bust with the Vancouver Canucks right now. And you can't really just put Besser up there and expect Horvat to be on the side with Vertanen and Pearson because that line just doesn't work. It's proven that that line yep. just doesn't work together. So you either need to go out and get another top-six player, but like it doesn't even need to be like a Tyler Toffoli legitimate top-six player. You just need a guy that has a shot of potentially making that line with Horvat and Pearson. And uh, I know, Harm, you brought up some interesting names as we were kind of on break there. I don't know if you want to dive into something. Like, do the Canucks have to look outward right now for a guy in the top six? Or is there someone on this roster, or potentially Josh Levo, that's going to hop into that second line and be able to contribute? Well, this can't be it, right? Like, they need an addition. And we talk about Josh Levo, and I think if he was fully healthy and we didn't have any question marks about his kneecap, um, I think he would have been... not an ideal fit, but he would have been an option next to Horvat. First and foremost, I think I've got to mention, if you have Vertanen on your top line, Besser and Horvat have not been a fit since their rookie seasons. I mean, you look at Besser's scoring rate next to Horvat at 5-on-5 five five the last two years, Besser just hasn't produced with Horvat. So I think that on its own, like even, even the idea of Vertanen on the top line and Besser on the second line, I'm not sure if that's going to be uh, a great fit for the Canucks, but Moving beyond beyond that, I think at the very least they need an, uh, a top nine winger 
even if they can't, like, I think at this point, a top six winger is a little bit pie in the sky just because of Vancouver's lack of cap flexibility. I think one candidate that's left on the UFA market that really sticks out to me is Dominic Cahoon. Uh, 25 years old, so young enough to where he can sort of fit into that Horvat Miller kind of age range. Um, and he's just this versatile Swiss Army knife in your middle six. He scored at a 40-point pace, prorated over 82 games in his last couple of seasons. But the key is almost all of that production is at even strength. Like, he's remarkably efficient at producing at 5-on-5. Five five. He scored north of two points per every 60 minutes at 5-on-5, five five, which, relative to the Canucks, that would be third behind only Pedersen and Miller wow. during that same time frame, it would be ahead of Brock Besser and Bo Horvat. It's not going to be much of a weapon at all on uh, on the power play. Like, he's not dynamic at all. He's not flashy. Again, in that Pearson-Levo mold, where in an ideal role, he's on uh, a third, a contender's third line, and uh, he, isn't, uh, he isn't dynamic on his own, but... The key there is he's also dependable and can play tough matchups. He's done. He's had experience doing that in Chicago. Uh, and so he's someone that Travis Green could trust to play next to Horvat. And again, far from ideal, right? Like you'd, you'd want a top six guy there. And I think Vancouver would still be in the market for a top six winger. But as a plug-and-play top nine piece, I'd even sign him to a two-year deal because Tanner Pearson's UFA next year, he's probably walking, I don't know if the Canucks have space to bring him back. And so Cahoon would kind of be uh, the younger version. He could play all three forward positions. Like, he is versatile. Um, he can play anywhere in your top nine. Anywhere. And so I think that's what makes him so valuable. He's got experience playing the middle, too. So It sounds like an excellent piece to even help isolate and, and bring in, or I'm sorry, not isolate, and that be able to bring in a Huglander and a Pod Exactly. Coulson, right? Like, that two-year deal sounds great because you're not forcing him forcing either of those prospects maybe we've moved into a top six role if that guy is your option instead. But quads, you were just telling us in break, you think it's Huglander who's going to be on that team. The way they're talking about him, I think they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that he's able to make the team. And now I was thinking about it while I was in the bathroom before I dropped that on you guys. Um, and I, I think you're right. Like, I don't think they're going to, it's not going to be like a force, but they're going to really want him to fit there and they're going to do everything they can. Cause you know, when, again, when they're talking about how they plan on filling the lineup and Jim Benning's talking about guys like Chatfield and Hoaglander, like these are guys that I don't doubt they're going to give every chance to make the team. And again, when we look at a guy like Hoaglander who plays with such a high motor, right? Like it wouldn't surprise me to see him come in and have a really good camp. And you know, he's got the 10 game thing, so he could play 10 and go back to Sweden, which is great for him. It's a good situation. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're going to see Hoglander on opening night. But again, like I, I want to add on to what Harmon's saying. Like, yeah, they have to go out and get somebody. If it's, if it's not Hoglander, they have to go out and get somebody because look at the most recent precedent of Tyler Toffoli being out of this lineup. Louis Erickson's in the top six. That's just not good enough. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I heard this from like last year when I went on a big spree of like talking to draft picks and prospects on the show in the summer. I heard it from every single one that Niels Huglander was on another level at prospects camp. They all mentioned him my name when I asked this question. Because after I asked the question the first time, I was like, oh, I should keep asking this question to see if it's a similar thing. And all of them said that Niels Huglander was the standout at Prospects Camp. I feel like he's a guy that's going to show well in a training camp. You know, yeah. he seems like he has a lot of skill. He skates well, right? Like, but the thing is, training camp's a lot different than an NHL game. Yep. And I think that's the part that Huglander might be missing right now 
is the ability to like, like I see it at the SHL level. He's great when he has the puck. He's great when he has space and you get a lot of that in the SHL. He's great on the power play, but when he's defending, you know, when he's up on the top and he's defending against the defenseman who has the puck, he, I don't want to say lazy, but he's not on him like Pod Colson is. Like when Pod Colson is checking a guy at the point, Pod Colson's all over him, taking the body, taking the puck. Huglander's almost just kind of like sitting around up there. Like he, when he gets down and he gets involved on the boards, very effective. Like if he gets in there, he's really good at using his stick and using his body to get the puck away from an oppositional play, opposition player. But that's the thing. Like he could really come into camp and look good because Huglander feels like the type of player who looks good in the training camp. But like, what do you think, Harm? Like you've seen a lot of Huglander as well. Do you think that that's a real possibility? Because that's another name, like we talked about with Jalen Chatfield. I mean, Jim Benning said Huglander's name three times in one of those media conversations that he had over Zoom. I think is a. Re- I think he has a real shot. I think the Canucks are incentivized um, to kind of make it work. But I tend to lean towards thinking that it's a, a year too soon for Hoglander. Just because when you look at players and and you stack up Hoglander's statistical SHL comps from his draft plus one season, he didn't light it up, right? And when you look at guys who who have a similar profile, most of them take a little bit of time adjusting to the North American game. They take a year or two in the minors before they're ready. And we've got to, we've got to remember, not every prospect is like Pedersen and Hughes where they can step in right away. And so just from that perspective, I think Hoglander needs a little bit more time to marinate. Uh, I do. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he got NHL games, but I think if you're banking on him to be a top nine fixture for next season, then I think you're you're you're, you're from a team building perspective, it's a bit too optimistic. I think you can't. Uh, I think you can't be banking on that personally. The interesting one in the comp that I found, and he was a guy who also played his draft plus two in the SHL, and I had to pull up his numbers here. Emil Benstrom is a guy who did that. He came in last year after playing his plus two year, a year where he had 35 points in 47 games, but he scored 23 goals out of those 35 points. So a solid year in the SHL in his draft plus two. He comes in, plays with the Blue Jackets, plays in a third-line role, 10 goals, 10 assists. You know, like that would be something that I think a lot of Canucks fans would be excited to see Huglander come in even with only half a year, it'd be like a draft plus one and a half. So that would be like the first time we've ever had to mention that kind of on, a, on about a prospect. But yeah, like if he comes in and steps in to the lineup, what we were talking about a little bit, there was a middle six winger, right? Like Niels Huglander projects as a middle six winger in the future. But you said it harm. Like, I think we're still one year away. And I think one year of him being a first line winger in the SHL is going to do huge because that's what he's doing right now. He's playing a ton of minutes, first power play time. He's not killing penalties, which is unfortunate because he is a very aggressive guy when he gets engaged. But it's a lot to ask that kid to potentially come in and play with Bo Horvat, who's going to be matching up against some of the oh, best no, that's lines not in the happen. NHL. That's not going to happen. If he comes, it'll be in a more sheltered situation. It has to be. His, his yeah. defensive game, as you mentioned, it's not there yet. And um, I spoke to... Uh, Rogla's GM when Hoglander signed and actually we have a drop for for how to pronounce that word actually yeah, this, on the how, show this is how you say it he said it oh, himself yeah? oh you don't have the headset on I can only hear it <laughs> never so mind we but, dropped a, that's every time we say uh, <laughs> Hoglander's name we have him saying it now as the drop Harmon did not hear it I realized so I'm, I was I'm the one uh, producing how do you say this. it 
Regle. That's how he says Regle. it. Regle. Regle. Wow. That that I would not have expected. No, that. no, no. no. Us, we were us either. We were like, all right, Neil. So with Rogel, <laughs> yeah, we did not know how to say it. But yeah, um, so like what would be a situation that, let's just talk about the middle six with Huglander in it. Like let's, like what do you think that looks like for the Canucks right now? Let's say they can't go out and get somebody. Let's say they let's say they have Josh Levo. Let's put Josh Levo into the mix. But let's say they can't go out and sign a free agent just because of their cap and what they're going to potentially mm-hmm. have to pay for tan in here. Let's let's look at what a middle six looks like. Do you have Huglander there? Is does he have to play fourth line minutes? Well, I, again, I I think it's more likely than not that he doesn't make the top nine at a camp. Um, if you factor Levo into the mix, then my guess as to what Green would do is lotter line. And and then he'd go with Pearson, Horvat, Levo, uh, which again isn't an ideal second line, but it's a, a combination that, if I recall correctly, he went to earlier in the season before Levo got hurt. And then third line, I think that's a little bit of a toss up. Um, you can go a couple different directions. Yeah, if you're talking Sutter or Godet there, right? Like there's you know Sutter and Beagle were the centers for a while in the playoffs, and you might be going. Uh, the Roussel Godet Vertanen combination, and then, but if that's the case, then is that really your third line? Like, are they going to get third line minutes, yeah. or is it going to be again a situation where Beagle, Mott, and whoever plays uh, closer to third line minutes as well? So, and even just looking at that top nine, there's no room for Hugliner on the fourth line there. Exactly. You know? So, like, it seems like to me. It's that third line that's going to be played like a fourth line. That's the only spot I can see him making, unless for some reason. And like I don't think so because I've seen him play. I've seen every game he's played this year in the SHL. If he were to come in and absolutely impress everyone at training camp and be forced into that top six role, like the only spot that really makes sense is if he's playing on a line with potentially, and this might not be Travis Green's favorite. This will be Travis Green's least favorite line for sure of Huglander, Godet, and Vertanen. Yeah, he'd hate that line. That, that line's line not is getting, getting any minutes. Zero yes. minutes. It <laughs> <laughs> feels like a line that might go out on a second power play unit, and like that's it. But like Literally. that's the only yeah. spot that that I can see making sense. That's why I don't think he's here. But we heard him talk about it. We heard from his camp. Like they're also thinking about potentially just staying here, like and not going back to the SHL and participating in whatever the hell the AHL is going to do. You know, he might be playing for the Abbotsford mm. Comets here pretty soon. From what we saw with 31 Thoughts this morning, you know, Elliot Friedman talking about them, if they wanted to bring them into a Canadian bubble, they would have to have a 14-day quarantine calling up a guy from Utica. So it sounds like the AHL team, I think Edmonton was the other one, and Calgary, no, Calgary's, I don't know, but there was another have, Canadian team yeah. that uh, that did have its AHL team in the in the United States. So Stockton, I think that, yeah, the Stockton Heat for Calgary. Right, okay, so like looking at those three, like, what does it feel like for you guys when he's potentially playing AHL games? Is that a road that you like for Huglander? I mean, it'd be cool if he was just down the road at the Langley Event Center. That'd be cool I'd if like they were 10 minutes there. from my house. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can control that environment. It is. Development it is, environment. Yeah. I might be able to finally but, go fishing with Huglander. I've talked talked to him twice on the show, and we've talked about fishing over here. Every is he going to need to be in a bubble? I don't think I don't think you'll want to go fishing with us right away. Bro, I'll hop in the Abbotsford Comets bubble if the chance is there. <laughs> Me and Corey were going right into the bubble. Um, sorry, what what we were saying is yeah, like I mean, it's a good environment in the sense of if they're playing games, but that's what he needs, right? Like sitting on the couch and working out whatever. He's been doing that for so long already because of COVID. Everybody's been doing it, but 
Like even Jonah Gadjevich said, like he thinks everybody's going to come in way heavier because everybody's been working out, but that's not what he needs at this point. Like sitting on the couch is not going to be helping Hoglander. I mean, this is a conversation we have to have about Rathbone as well. And it's just like, you're going to have to have that sort of farm team with an expanded practice, but then who are they going to play against? You know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know, like how are they going to be able to keep them playing competitive games that matter, that is going to help their development? It's everything's in the air right now. And I don't know, like what I will say is I think it benefits Hoglander and it benefits the Canucks if he's here playing and he's able to be the first call up, but it's not benefiting him if he's just working out and sitting on his couch waiting to get called up. And that was the thing that, that we heard from the camp was what they were considering of the AHL was that in the eyes of Huglander's camp and potentially the eyes of Vancouver Canucks organization, and that might be where they heard it from, is that he's higher up on their depth charts to call up a guy to play in their top nine than a Cole Lynn, than a Jonah Gadjevich. Right now, they have Huglander above him. And you can hear that from Jim Benning, the way he talks yep. about it. So that's where the situation comes interesting to me. But then again, like we just talked about, Arm, that's still forcing a guy into a lineup with, you know, maybe he only gets, you know, 10 AHL games. And then it's just like, oh, well, now you're up. We got an injury to our top six. We need a guy like Huglander to come up and play. You know, like that's that's another tough look. And that's not like he's getting a lot more competition if he's only playing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 AHL games, potentially, if there is an AHL even. And this is why it's so important to have uh, a high-end third-line center who is competent on both ends of the ice, right? And we'll see if Gaudet can grow into that role. Uh, but for instance, when you talk about Hogland or you talk about Vertanen, these are guys who have offensive skill that uh, in Hoglander's case, it's just because he's young and, and he's, he's going to learn that part of the game. And I, I have no doubts that he can uh, master his craft there. Right now, they're, they both project as below average defensive guys. And if you had a 3C who could kind of lift them up on both ends of the ice, be a strong 200-foot guy, then that would make it so much easier to slot a Hoglander onto your third line or, right. or have Vertanen and be able to play him in meaningful minutes. And so Brandon I think that's... Sutter doesn't do that for you, Harm? <laughs> he's an offensive black hole, right? So... <laughs> Um, and, and I think in an ideal world, that's what Benning envisioned Sutter to be, that type of player who he can chip in with offense. You know you're going to get a trustworthy two-way game out of him, and obviously that hasn't material, material or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to try saying that again. Materialized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That what one. You said, that, what you said. Um, and, and so because of that, it's, it's a really difficult situation to be able to integrate prospects like Hoglander, to, to be able to feed bigger minutes to someone like Vertanen. Absolutely. And I, I agree with that a lot. It's too bad because, like, like, the Canucks have three competent centers, if you count JT Miller. You know, but that would be really making a lot of changes to the lineup that's not there. We're yeah. not even going to go down that road. Uh, <laughs> I think we've covered enough for the forwards as well. Um, the final thing that we like to do every week on the show is a prospects report that I normally handle 95% of it. But, Harm, have you been watching prospects lately? Have you been keeping up? You got anything you want to talk about maybe with the prospects? I honestly haven't uh, just because free agency has been so busy. I know when things kind of quiet down, I'll be back catching up on tape watching some of these guys but let me ask you Faber what do you make of Pod Colson's sort of campaign so far we've obviously talked a lot about free pods yeah. and I think for a lot of people look at the lack of production and are are, are a little bit concerned or are wary 
what's your sense as someone who's actually watched practically all of his games? Yeah, and I don't blame you because I've seen like the Canucks will make a free agent signing or a trade, and Harmon's got the article like forty five minutes, and it's out. Yeah, you've so, been like, on fire. You've been, you've been very quick. You're beating our news guy at Canucks Army. He just <laughs> he writes two hundred word little things about it. So uh, yeah, but like yeah, Pod Colson zero points in his last five games. Um, he's got two points in his last twelve, um, and you know the two points were two secondary assists that came in one game. So yeah, the production is is not there. Like it's definitely not there right now for Vasily Podkolzin. If you look at the stats, right? Like if you look at the stats, if you look at goals, assists, and points, it's not there. But when he is playing his best game right now is when he's playing twelve to thirteen, like 10, 10 to thirteen minutes. And I know a lot of people want to see him up in sixteen, seventeen. He's just not. Like, I, I, there's a lot of positives about Pod Colson, but when I saw him playing games, when all that COVID breakout happened, and he's playing 17 to 21 minutes, he was not close to as effective as he was when he plays 12 minutes, and he gets ice time on the fourth line with a guy that, you know, he plays with Morozov right now, and then there's kind of a rotating guy in the left wing. The problem with that line is Morozov is an absolute black hole um, for, for passing. He's great at getting to the front of the net and finishing, but you watch any sort of passing play with Morozov involved, and he just cannot continue to keep a play going. And Pod Colson does a great job of that. But, yeah, right now, like, he's not putting up points, and that's for sure that's something that maybe some people should be worried about. But he's also not playing in the SHL or the MHL or, world, you know, major junior. He's playing in the KHL, a very strong league. And his competitive nature and the all-around game that he brings, the all-around positives of his game outweigh the negatives of him not being on the score sheet, I think. I think that that's going to come because he is getting chances. The only problem that we're really seeing right now is a lot of the chances or shots on net that he's getting are him when he simply gains the zone and just fires a shot from, you know, 60 feet out. Like it's, you know, that's not you a mean very, the Jake for Tannen, the Jake for Tannen pretty much, but there are times where he drives the net too. So like, he's not quite the Jake for Tannen. Um, so yeah, those are the things that excite me. But the thing that I like, I like to see when he does those drives, he puts his shoulder down, he leans on you like Todd Bertuzzi used to do. He gets to the net, but he hasn't been able to finish many of those yet, and that's unfortunate because you know he's he's got a very low shooting percentage right now. I you know I expect that to rise, but I think that at the same time you need to start seeing something because two points in his last twelve, zero in his last five just isn't good enough. And I think when you look at a handful of those games being him over 16 minutes of ice time per game, you can't make the excuse of him not getting ice time anymore. Like he needs to produce a little bit offensively for people to keep the hype going on him. You need to see it. And I think it might come a little bit here. And if it doesn't, the hype, like it's going to die down a little bit by December. And then you're going to see him at the world juniors be the best player at that tournament. And people are going to be right back on the hype train. And maybe that, kind of helps jumpstart the rest of his season. So, um, yeah, it, it might be some bad news for a little bit here because it's been a lot of positives, but every game that I've tracked with Pod Colson, still he's at a positive course in each of those games. The way that he's controlling the puck in the offensive zone, that fourth line, they're normally going up against other KHL fourth lines, and they absolutely dominate. Like, they control the puck so much. Pod Colson is so good at moving the puck from his zone and just being able to beat one checking forward, four checking forward, and then beating a defenseman and getting positioning that it's exciting to see what he could do. And it's exciting to think where he fits in with the Canucks lineup. We talked about what the top six is missing. They're missing Pod Colson right now. Like if he was an option to come into training camp right now, I think he would be up there. I think he'd be playing with Bo Horvat on that second line if there's no one else to bring in. So um, I'm, I'm still hype on him, but man, like I've been watching another Russian too. Quads, you've, I've sent you some clips of this guy, Dimitri Zlodiev. The Canucks drafted him in the sixth round, five foot eleven on paper. 
Probably not on the ice. Uh, like I've seen a lot of video on him. They have him at 5'11". He's smaller than that, I think. Like he's not very big, but he is very aggressive. He's not afraid to get physical. He's thick. Like he's he's close to 200 pounds according to the MHL website. But I don't know if he's 5'11". And he might not be 200 pounds either. Like they've definitely like boosted both of his numbers for that a little bit. But he's out there. He's the assistant captain on that team. He's the first center out there on penalty kills. He's the first center out there on the power play scoring goals. He's put, setting up assists. Like he looks really good in the MHL. He's played a few games in the VHL, scored three goals in his first three games in the VHL. So impressive. The VHL, by the way, for people who don't know, it's kind of like the AHL to the NHL, but it's the Russian version of that. And the MHL is kind of like major junior in Russia. So you're seeing him play in sort of a major junior league right now, but also get time in a similar AHL league. And the fact that he's scoring goals in that league is kind of impressive at his age. So I'm high on him. I've really liked every game, almost every shift that I've seen from him so far. He skates hard. He moves the puck well. He's got quick hands. uh, And he's playing with a high-end prospect in, I forget his name now, uh, but the Washington Capitals drafted him in the fourth round of this recent draft. So that's my prospects report. I haven't watched too many other things. Oh, Final thing, Tony Utenen finally played his first league game today um, on, what are we recording this, Wednesday? Played his first game on Wednesday. Uh, He played 15 minutes and 36 seconds, I believe. Didn't have a point. Uh, They lost in overtime. So good game for him. Finally got into some league action. So that's good to see. That's all I got for the prospects report. Say something because I've been talking for a long time. Somebody say something. Good prospects report. I agree. I have nothing to add to this. I haven't watched any of these guys. I was watching goaltenders leading up to this draft. (laughs) Well, boys, uh, I got to say thank you to Zach McEwen. He joined us this week on the show. An excellent conversation. Uh, Harmon, thank you very much for coming back into the studio. I'm just getting a little bit sweaty, but that's because I talked for the last seven minutes. Uh, But it's it's getting warm in here. We're going to get out of here. Harm, anything coming up for you in the future? I know you've been uh, quick so far this month of October, just banging out articles right now. Yeah, so Friday, um, we're Trance and I are going to do a uh, doing NHL comps for the Canucks' 2020 draft class, looking at just kind of um, from a statistical perspective, guys of similar stature, similar leagues coming up, kind of like those cohort models. Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll probably have obviously any reaction to trades and news, um, a depth, uh, comprehensive depth chart breakdown, and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Good stuff. I can't wait to see Zlodiev's. I'm actually excited to see what that looks like. Go subscribe to The Athletic, by the way. We haven't plugged that I yet. told Harm this on the way over here. So, like, The Athletic, they always have these great deals. It's like a dollar for a month, a dollar fifty for a month. Yeah. Mine expired and automatically renewed. Nice. Without getting me one of these dollar fifty or two dollars things. So I ended up paying $80 a year for The Athletic when I could have got it for, like, 15 bucks with promo code HARM or something. <laughs> promo so, code HARM. I don't actually have any, like, promo codes or links or... Get yeah. on it. What I the think hell? Vancast, Vancast is always talking about that. When are you going back on the Vancast, by the way, Harm? They've been talking about getting guests. I don't know how they haven't reached out to you lately. Uh, I don't know. Um, we'll, <laughs> Writing these articles kind of... with Drance, and he won't even invite you on the pod, eh? I know. I've, I've got to have a talk with him. You don't need him. <laughs> you come to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have Harm on until this Drance is gonna be steals the anti-Vancast. <laughs> <laughs> it has been for a while, but I'm <laughs> uh, just joking. Good guys. Yeah. Are We're actually having lunch with Drance I love tomorrow. Drance. So that should be nice. Um, so yeah, for, for Harmon, uh, anything else you wanted to close out with? Uh, follow you on Twitter at Harmon Dial 2. You haven't got rid of the two yet, have you? Because there's an original. It's like how I'm fighting to get Quadrelli. Mine's like, oh, yeah? yeah, my first yeah, L right. is a capital I. It's like really oh, sneaky. Wow. But yeah. The, I think you should go back to Sicilian Miracle, was it? Oh was my gosh. Yeah, Twitter? I had that till I like got 
four months into the job at Canuck Way. Like, once I started getting some sort of audience, yeah. people were tagging me, like, at Cecilia Miracle. I'm like, all right, that was funny when I was 13 when I made it, but <laughs> I should probably change it. What about, uh, have you looked at Harmon Dial? Like, at Harmon it's, Dial? It's inactive. Like, the account yes. has two followers. Yeah, same with, like, same with Enrique Quadrelli. Whatever. Just two is my birth date, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, my birthday is June 2nd, so I'm like, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I've looked at... Uh, at Chris Faber, and the last time he tweeted was it's one, he's only got one tweet on the account, and it says "Looking forward to Memorial Day weekend." This is 2007 when he tweeted that. <laughs> Plus, if I change my handle now, I lose my check mark. Ooh, not, not Ooh, worth it. Not, yeah, worth, not worth. Not it. worth. Not worth. hard worth. to get that thing. Yep. So, uh, Harm, again, thanks for coming into studio, man. Appreciate you always coming in here. Uh, we're not taking you out for dinner this time, unfortunately. So you're you're heading back home for that. Uh, but thanks for coming in again, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for David Quadrelli and Chris Faber, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Hello. Thank you for calling Thomas Grant. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.